Good morning. We've had a great opportunity this morning to uh, share as a church. You know, I know we don't always do things the way everybody else does it, but that's okay. We are who we are as true north. We come here because we love God and we love others. And that's what we proclaim. That's what we say. And, and today we've had opportunity for many of you as church family to share different things going on in your life. Um, it's good to see Kathy back. Uh, it, it's good to celebrate marriages, 50 years plus. Uh, it, it's good to come here and share your prayer requests, your hurts, your pains, uh, things that were shared at funerals. Um, something, you know, that Leroy was, uh, had mentioned and referred to and Dan referred to, especially with the, uh, the Sproul family, uh, to be praying for them with the passing of, of Coach Corey. And um, something happened Thursday night at Delta at the basketball game. And I want to share this with you because, you know, I'm, I'm your pastor, but I also serve with FCA. That's my ministry. That's where I started eight years ago. And this sort of became one of those uh, side things where it's like, well, you want to help plant a church? No, <laughs> but I'll pray about it. And here we are. And I've never regretted that, um, to be able to pastor and be a part of this church family. Um, but you need to know that throughout the week, I'm doing other things with FCA. And I'm thankful that Dan has been able to serve over in Delta uh, with the basketball team for over five years, working with Coach Sproul. But when we when we serve in schools and, and in the ball fields and in here in the church or outside the church, it's a blessing to work with who we work with and serve who we serve with. You don't realize the impact that God does in your life and then is put upon others. And I say that because like with, with Coach Sproul, for instance. Um, at the ball game Thursday night, um, Delta was playing Ottawa Hills. I want to read to you something that was sent to me, what took place Thursday night. Uh, I'd caught wind of it, knew about it, but I'm glad um, another person sent this to me then so I could read it correctly. Um, before the game started that night, they were debating whether or not they should even play. And they all gathered together and voted on, said, let's do this because this would have honored coach. Um, and so they, they, they played that night. They went out of the locker room and played an undefeated Ottawa Hills team. And... But this time they said it was like they were playing for something bigger. This person wrote in there and they described, they said, I don't know how to explain it, but they played beyond themselves. They played beyond their capabilities. It was as if their feet never touched the floor. Uh, tied at halftime, second half started, gained the lead, never lost it. One of the players in Delta uh, particular was very close to the coach. And he was focused on the game, knew he had to keep himself to, uh, together. But as the clock counted down with 10 seconds left in the game, this particular boy stood at half court with the ball and just broke down. Um, it says, Ottawa Hills star player walked out to half court, helped pick him up, and the rest of the teams came in uh, as the clock ran down to zero. As the game ended, the players joined together in prayer. The emotions were high in the gym that night. The crowd was addressed, making mention of what happened, inviting people to come down to the court to pray. The stands emptied, and everyone stood hand-in-hand in, hand in the basketball court in prayer. They can't do that according to the state, right? That's the impact of God's word on a person. When that person lives then in a way to share with others, others are impacted. And so when there is a loss, there's actually a victory, if that makes sense. And there was a victory that night. Not in the sense that they won that game, but in the sense 
that there was people that were impacted spiritually by one person. Does it matter that we gather together to worship God? Does it matter that we pick up God's Word to read and study? Does it matter that we go into the schools with God's Word? Does it matter that we pray with people? Yes, 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 and yes, and if I missed one, yes. It matters. It matters. So for Leroy to stand up here and say, hey, you know, it's important to either support the Gideons or get God's Word out there, and, and, and Leroy, I hope you don't mind this, but whether you give money to the Gideons or you give money just to go buy Bibles and give them to somebody, you're not going to get any special crowns or stars either way, okay? What matters is that you do something, okay? You want to give the Gideons, give the Gideons. You want to just go buy a Bible and give it to somebody, that's fine. You want to get involved with the Gideons and serve. You want to serve in your school. You want to serve the things that Leroy mentioned. Just do those things, okay? I think it's be more frustrating if we didn't do anything at all. And it's important, I guess what I'm saying is, we are who we are as a church because of God's Word. So let's not keep it to ourselves. Let's continue to take God's Word into our community, into our schools, so we can see the impact God's people in our community and people giving their lives to the Lord. This uh, Thursday and Friday, Steve and I are heading down to Columbus. Uh, there's a baseball coaches clinic in Columbus with the state, and um, we sort of got invited to the FCA to, to, can we go down and set up a booth? But not only did they give us a booth, they're, they're going to take care of us. They're going to let us have a breakfast in which we're going to share the gospel, and, and they're giving me two speaking opportunities to talk to all the coaches. There's about 1,400 coaches signed up for this event. Now, what would happen, I don't know how many will show up to hear what I have to say, but what would happen if at this convention some of the coaches give their life to the Lord? What if, would happen if some of these coaches grab some of our Bibles and it impacts their life? What would happen to that coach and that team, that school, that community? I'm going to ask you just please pray this Thursday and then Friday morning when I speak, that great things happen. Okay? It isn't just about this church and this community. It's about God's, God's work in this world through his people. So I ask you to pray for that uh, coming up because uh, it's, it's important that we take God's word everywhere we go. And so with that being said, open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy 1. and uh, We're going to dig into God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 1, it's in the New Testament. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I know I'm looking at my watch. I'm looking at the clock. It's 10 till 11, somewhere around there. Usually I get up to start preaching at about 10.30, 10.25. So I'm 20 minutes behind, and I haven't started yet. Bear with me. No. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're just going to uh, dig into here and, and uh, go for a little bit. I want to challenge you with God's Word and stay on track. Um, and, and before I do that, and here's another delay. Um, how old is the Bible? That's a good question. And we're going to find out this morning part of that answer. If I don't mention it, you can all hit me up later and say, you never answered it, okay? And then, I'll, then I'll answer it, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Let's read this. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you've learned from me. 2 Timothy chapter 1, all the way towards the end of the New Testament. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you've learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, 
Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Oh, that is a verse that could be broke down for a month, okay? Hold on. Paul's addressing Timothy here, a new stage of his life and leadership. Timothy, as you're getting ready to speak to this big church. Timothy, as you're getting ready to talk to people that are sort of messed up with false teaching. Timothy, as you're going into a new part of your life, let me give you something that really matters here. You know, hey, it's a brand new year. I don't know how many of you have New Year's resolutions, but let me do this. As you're heading into a new stage of your life, new resolutions, new things that you want to accomplish, let's do with what Paul told Timothy. Here's something that we should do for this new year. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching that you've learned from me. And this obviously comes from Paul. But let me back up. What's hold on mean? This is what I want you to do. If you've got somebody next to you that you love, you know, I want you to grab their hand. If you don't have anybody sitting next to you or you have a stranger sitting next to you, that could be awkward. So grab something else. Grab a pen, a pencil, your Bible, okay? I want you to hold on to us right now, okay? Everybody grab something, okay? I'm going to grab my water bottle, okay? Now, I'm using this as an example because you can see that I'm actually holding on. Because listen, see? That's called squeeze, okay? You should be squeezing something right now. That's holding on. This is not holding on, okay? That's loose grip. I want a squeeze right now. Everybody's squeezing something, grabbing something, okay? If the person next to you is saying, ouch, 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 that's a little too tight, okay? Everybody got this? That's what this verse means. Hold on. It's a literal meaning grasping, gold firmly. Okay, you can loosen up, okay? Unless you want to keep holding hands with your wife or girlfriend, well, that's fine, okay? You can thank me later, guys. Okay, so hold on is a firm grasp to what? What are we supposed to hold on? Paul said, I want you to hold on. Hold on to what? A wholesome teaching. I want you to hold on to God's word. I want you to hold on to what's been explained. It's what we've learned from the Bible. It's the very words of God. When you learn something from God's word, and it's like, wow, that is so good. Okay, now hold on to it. Write it down. Stick it in your pocket. Put it somewhere you can pull out. I'm holding on to this one. Because how many times do we let things come into our mind and loosely let it go later? We forget it so easily. This is a holding on. I'm not forgetting. I mean, if you've ever held the hand of somebody, and I mean, they're like, maybe it's like a Halloween or somebody, you watch a scary movie, and then they let go, and you're like, whoo, that left some marks. That's holding on. Holding on to God's word, holding on to his wholesome teaching will leave a mark on you. It's the words of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, it's the teachings of Jesus. There's a pattern here, okay? Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching. It started with God saying, when God created the heavens and the earth, he started this pattern of, this is what life is all about. These are my commands. And it sort of got repeated and recycled, and, and people weren't getting it. So God says, okay, I'm going to come in the flesh. Maybe then you'll help understand my commands a little bit better. So God comes in the flesh. Now we see Jesus Christ. He has now explained what God was saying all throughout the Old Testament. And here's Jesus now continuing to point towards the future. But now he's teaching too. So now we got his teachings. And then the disciples are saying, oh, I'm starting to understand now about God. And okay, now you are Jesus, God in the flesh. And this is sort of the pattern. We're going to start writing books and going out and making disciples. And then you got people like Paul and other people that came along then and said, like, yes, that's the pattern I'm following. You follow me with this? There's a pattern how it started, and everybody's sort of continuing along here. There's, this is the pattern. It wasn't like, 
I've got a new teaching. You know, if there's somebody that came out and says, I've got some new teachings on God's Word, you might want to stay away from that, okay? Because it's all started here in the very beginning of Genesis. The pattern's been laid out for us. There really isn't anything new. If somebody coming up with a new book, I wouldn't read it, okay? Hold on to this pattern of wholesome teaching. Our actions, our words, our life is to be patterned then what we've learned from God's Word. So when people look at us, what are they seeing? You know, if, if you're in school and you learn patterns, for those of you teachers elementary and kids in elementary, they get patterns. One star, two boxes. One star, two boxes. One star, it's a pattern, right? Okay. God's Word, this is how I live. God's Word, this is how I live. God's Word, this is how I live. Okay? There's a pattern there. We are holding on to God's pattern, God's teaching, so that our lives are patterned after Him, and people get it. They see it, okay? Now, when I'm talking about this patterning, I want to make sure we get this clear. This pattern that we're following is, is His teachings, how we live, okay? It's not how we look, okay? Some of you like, i got to grow my hair out long, get a full beard, wear sandals and a robe so I look like Jesus, right? Now, I joke about that, but seriously, this just happened recently at a a, a Okay, a darts tournament in England. This was a huge darts tournament in England because there were over 4,500 spectators at this tournament. And at, towards the end of the tournament, I was actually getting into the, uh, the, the finals, a young man by the name of uh, Nathan Grindle was escorted from the darts tournament out to a different part of the stadium. Why? ABC News reported that Grindle, aged 33, long-haired, full beard, was sitting in the stands when somebody near started going, Jesus, Jesus. Soon, most of the 4,500 spectators started chanting, Jesus. Grindle got escorted, I know, it's, it's, it's silly. He got escorted out to a different area, and they reported later that Grindle wasn't laughing about it. He goes, it was distressing. It was like the crowd was bullying me. It's like, Dude, you got picked on because you look like Jesus, okay? But it, it's sort of a funny thing, but you know what, really? We don't need to look physically like Jesus, but the pattern that we follow for holding on to that wholesome teaching, we will look like Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Not physically, but how we live. That's what we mean by patterning ourselves after Jesus. It's beyond that physical appearance. Let's read on. Using our faith and love from Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, guard the truth. Did you follow that? See, because of what you and I believe, because of what we know, because we've placed our faith in Him, God has sent His Spirit into us to give us the power we need in faith and love to live that life. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, carefully guard the precious truth that's been entrusted to us. So we're to guard, we're to protect the truth that's been given to us. Now it's like, okay, I want to understand this a little bit more. What do you mean by guard here, Paul? So I looked it up. What is this, the meaning of this? And it's like a mama bear protecting her cubs. It's a mom literally saying, don't mess with my kids. Okay? All you moms know what that means, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was watching, um, I've never seen this, gator this show before until recently. We decided to watch it called Gator Boys on Animal Planet. I don't know if you ever watched it before. Very intriguing show. 
And I was more intrigued because the guy, the, the head guy in these Gator Boys, because I, I look at these shows, I know some of you are like, you watch that show? I've never seen it, but it sounds stupid. Okay, I get it. I was the same boat. I watched it. Now I'm thinking, it's actually sort of a, a fun show to watch because the main guy that helps catch gators, they catch these gators and release them or put them in place of a uh, better situation for these alligators. But the guy goes, I love doing what I do because I get to do my three favorite things. One, I get to have, uh, express my faith in God. I get to get out and go run and be out in, in, in nature that God's created. And it's like, is this dude a Christian? I don't know if he is or not, but it sort of caught my attention. So I'm watching a little bit more, but there's a scene in Gator Boys where they get in these, uh, these boats and they get onto the marshlands and they went out to get these little hatchlings, these little baby gators, because there's so many of them in one spot, they want to relocate them to help from overpopulation and having problems. As they're out there in the dark, in the marshy waters, okay, anybody else here saying they're not too smart? Okay, I was feeling that way. And they're walking around, wanted some of them barefoot. Oh, you feel how it feels in your feet? And I'm going, oh, you know how that feels in the mouth of a gator? Um, so they're walking around, picking up these little baby gators, and they're going, <coughs> and it's like, oh, that's cute. It's like, no, it's crying. Mama, somebody got me, okay? And they even said that. They said, oh, he's probably crying for help. And then they're like, oh, and by the way, mama gators are very territorial. Do not mess with their babies. And I'm going, some people, this just doesn't make sense to me that you're still doing this then as they're walking around with four or five baby gators in each hand knowing that there's a mama gator out there. They said a mama gator will have 30 to 40 babies. Now, some of you moms are like, I had 30 to 40 babies this past spring. You're like, take a couple. I don't care, okay? <laughs> I'm already missing two all the time anyway. Um, but even, even with that many babies, that mama gator knows if one's missing and she don't like it. Guard, guard, guard is what Paul is saying here. Guard and protect the truth. Here's the problem. We don't know the truth too well, okay? As much as we think we know God's word, sometimes we get confused on God's word because we're not in God's word enough. We don't know it well enough. It's hard to guard something we don't know very well, right? And that's a problem I, I believe in today's society is we know that God's word is true. The problem is we don't know it well enough to protect it. So when somebody comes up and starts saying something or acting a certain way, we're like, I, I don't really think that's the right thing to do, the right thing to say. Oh, I wish I could remember that verse. Or was that talked about in God's word? Now see, if we know the truth, then we can protect it. Like, hey, you know what? I know from God's word, this is not the way I should be living. I know from God's word, this is what you should not be doing. Or I know from God's word that what you said, that's not in God's word. That's made up. Because a lot of times we hear stuff, it's in the Bible somewhere, but I think it says, so we got we to know the truth so that we can guard it, so that we can pattern our lives after it. Everybody following with me so far on this one? Okay, all right. Now this is what I want you to think about now. Jesus said, because you think about this, if you had somebody dear and entrusted to you that you really love, okay, and that person that you love, all of a sudden they're, they're just gone. They passed on and you're crushed. But suddenly they appear to you. First of all, you're probably scared. You're thinking, this can't be, right? This is 
paranormal activity, something I don't know, and it's, it's freaky, scary, and right? Okay. Imagine how the disciples felt when Jesus reappeared to them after he resurrected from the dead. They had to take it all in at first to realize it really is Jesus, okay? So now the one they love, the one they called the Messiah, the one to save the world, is standing before them, and he's still teaching. But what were the last things that Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven? These are probably, like the, probably the most important things. You know, this is the last thing I want to say to you before I'm out of here. And this is coming from one who just came back from the dead. So do you think we should listen? Absolutely. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 28, we have this situation then when Jesus is about ready to ascend into heaven. He's talking to his disciples. These are the last things he says to them. We know a lot of this verse, okay? We read actually the next couple of verses. We know these verses, but there's a verse that sometimes gets overlooked. Okay, here we go. Jesus came, told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's the part we all get, right? We always say it all the time. We need to go and make disciples, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 20. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Repeat after me. To obey all the commands. Three different things I just want you to see there. We're supposed to, as believers in Christ, okay, if you're in here this morning, you've given your life to Jesus Christ, guess what? You're now one of his disciples. You're patterning your life after Jesus. You should look like him and how you live and act, okay? Guess what we get to do now? We get to go teach other people his commands. What does it say? Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands. Oh, but here's the deal. If I'm going to now help other people understand God's commands, help them obey, guess what? I got to know them. And I think that's why a lot of times people are like, well, I don't want to lead a Bible study because I don't know God's word. Hey, let's do this. Let's all put us at square one, okay? Square one is, I just got a Bible placed, man. Let's just go and put ourselves all right there, okay? Now let's start, all start moving forward. Let's start learning God's Word. Whether you know this front to back, top to bottom, in and out, or whether you've just opened God's Word, let's start learning this together so that we can teach others God's commands. Let's hold on to this. Let's grasp it. The truth that we have in our hands is a pattern for us to live so that we can teach others. So that we can teach others. We're to go and make disciples. That's for all of us, right? But in that verse 20, it says, man, I gotta, I gotta know the commands. There should be nothing more natural for us than to want to read the Bible. You know, uh, Peter, one of Jesus' first disciples, compared it to a baby's natural craving for milk. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. Let me just read this to you. You don't need to turn there. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Like newborn babies crave milk. Moms, especially moms have had a baby within the last year or two. 
that child that is growing as crazy milk, you know, you know when she's hungry, don't you? Yeah. Because that baby cries. That, we've discovered babies have lungs at a young age by the way they scream, right? Stretch those lungs. That is good, right? That's what we hear. In the same way they crave milk, we should be craving God's word. It should be a natural thing for us to say, I crave this. I don't know what it is. I, if you get up in the morning and you normally read the Bible when you first get up and you miss a morning, by mid-morning, afternoon, evening, you, you, it should be hitting you. It's like there's something about today that just isn't right. I can tell when I don't have my Bible reading in the morning. I can tell when I've not been in God's Word. We should all be able to see that in ourselves. We should know when we have been starving ourselves from God's Word. Scripture, you know, basically, if you want to compare it, you know, for an adult, maybe we're not clicking. Okay, for those of you that crave chocolate or... I don't know, burgers or whatever it is you're craving right now for lunch, okay? Ice cream, I don't Substitute it if it helps, okay? Just sort of sit there and say, as I crave a cheeseburger, a bacon cheeseburger, as I crave a bacon cheeseburger right now, I should be craving God's Word, okay? You just can't wait to dig into it. What am I going to find? How, you know, and it's, what, what, oh, this is going to help me, right? Now some of you are like, oh, I'm getting a little hungry, okay. But you know what we do? We crave God's Word like we crave vegetables, don't we? I know it's good for me, and I probably should eat it, but mom's not around, so where's the potato chips, right? And then, like, when we go to our mom and dad's, the holidays, we're to visit, we put veggies on our plate to impress mom and dad. Still eating them, mom, see? Thanks. I love your bean casserole. It's so good. Then when I go home, what do I do? French fries, chips, whatever, crackers, you know? We do the same thing spiritually. Around other Christians, we're like, I've got my word, you know. i got my vegetable with me today. But when we go home, we're like, I re- this is really good for me. I probably should be into it. But I would rather have some ice cream right now, text, text, you know, whatever. You know, we get those emails all the time about, well, if we took God's word the way we took text messages and emails and Facebook, we'd be so much more spiritual. And, and you know, you've probably seen those things before. And that's that's a good point. That's a good point. We're quick to text. We're quick to email. We're quick to Facebook. We're quick to all these things to communicate with everybody. How quick are we to communicate with the God of the universe? If we really believe that the Bible is the Word of God, then it should be so much more than what it is in our lives. It should shape every aspect of our existence, guide the directions and the decisions we make in our life. And so I, I just want to start and end right now with, with this thought about the Bible, okay? I want to encourage you to think through what motivates you to read, okay? What's going to motivate you this upcoming year to get into God's Word? We'll talk more about it in the upcoming weeks, but here's three things. We are motivated by the wrong reasons. I'll give you three. Guilt, status, and teaching. Okay? I, I, I grew up on the guilt part of it. Like, I, I have to read God's Word. It's on my list of things to do. It's like church attendance, you know. I'm going to attend church. I've got to give money, and I better not swear. Okay? There's my list of things. As a Christian, you don't do these things if you're a Christian. Okay? So, if I read my Bible, checked it off for the day, I did my thing. If I didn't do it, uh-oh, 
I feel guilty because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Okay? So we create our own standards. I'm going to read so many chapters a day. Did God tell us to do that? As soon as you can find scripture in here that says, thou shalt read ten chapters a day, two in the Old Testament, eight and seven in the New, and read one psalm. Got it. Okay? It's not in there. We do need to read, but who places the amount on our table? We do. We create our own standards, and then we have to live up to it, never considering whether or not God placed that standard on us. We place that standard on us. Then we create that opportunity for guilt. So out of guilt, we read the Bible. That's not good motivation. So do me a favor. If you feel guilty because you're not reading the Bible, that's wrong motivation, okay? Here's the other one. The other one is status. There's a certain status of respect that if I know the Bible, I'm well-respected. Well, you're the pastor. You should know the Bible. That's right. So ask me any question, and I'll give you the answer because I know it. I'm Bible man, okay? Not really. Um, I'll have you know I, I did a Bible quiz off with another youth pastor at Yes FM many years ago, and I lost, so I just want to let you know that. I'm not Bible man. Um, but you think about this. When Satan went to God when he was, was, said, hey, you know who Job is? God's like, Job, Job's my, yeah, I know Job. Satan didn't go to God and say, hey, consider him. And God says, oh, I'm considering him. He knows the scrolls. He's Bible man, want to be, you know. God said, no, he's a righteous man. Job was known because he was right with God, not because of what he could read or not read, and how much. It wasn't about his status. There's a temptation, I'll tell you right now, especially for me as a pastor, to place upon myself to say, I have to have the answer. Dan has to have the answer. The elders have to have the answer. Guess what? I would hope for my sake, Dan's sake, the elders, and anybody else in this church that leads a Bible study or, or works with kids, if somebody comes to you and says, do you know where in the Bible, and let's, I'm going to give you all permission right now to say, if you don't know the answer, to say, I'm not sure. That's okay. Okay? Don't feel like out of pride you have to know the answer all the time. Because I don't. But God's given me the ability to go find the answer in his word. And I will do that for you. Okay? And I'll do that for me when I don't know the answer. But out of pride sometimes, the motivation is I've got to get in God's word so that I look intelligent. Okay? Uh, another thing is teaching material. Another motivation. I've got to get in the Bible so that I've got something good to share with everybody else. Well, I'm preaching Sunday, so I better have something good to share. I'm writing a devotional this week. I better find something to share with everybody else. Wrong motivation, okay? I'm giving you these three motivations because these are three motivations that I've struggled with. I always had, you know, I felt guilty because I had my own standard for how much I had to read. I always, you know, put myself up there, well, I've got to know because I've got to be the intelligent one, okay? okay? Or I've got to teach, so I've got to get into God's Word. You know what? Wrong motivation. Here's what I want you and I to do this, this week. I'm going to close with this. I want us to start looking at this as the Word of God. The answer was given when you started this today, right, Kathy? What is this? It's the words of God. I want you to think about this. The words of God. Please let that sink in. We throw it around all the time. It's the Word of God. God spoke. Here it is. So how old is the Bible? When God first started speaking, that's how old it is. Okay? Now when this Bible was printed, that's a different answer. Okay? When they invented the printing press, that's another answer. 
How old is the Bible? As soon as God said, let there be light, there we go. That's how old the Bible is. As soon as God starts speaking, it's the words of God. So when you open this up, and I've had to do this over the last half year, um, when I had to start re-going through, thinking, why do I read the Bible and that? Now when I sit down to read, I pray before I read, say, God, these are your words. This is for me, not for what I'm going to get out of it so I can tell so-and-so what they need. Okay, because usually we go to the Bible trying to find an agenda to help somebody else or to back up who we are, how we live. God, these are your words spoken to me. I've been reading through Lamentations lately. Oh, if you've never read Lamentations, you understand what I'm saying. Then, If you have, you know what I'm saying. You read through Lamentations, you go, God, I feel really depressed after reading Lamentations. Is it okay if I read another chapter from somewhere in the New Testament to get pumped back up? I mean... But you know what? God's word is there for a reason. So as I read, God, it's your spoken word. What do you want to tell me today? Help me be open and clear to this. I want to know. It's God's word. Let that be your beginning motivation. God wants to speak. Are you ready to hear it? Crave it. It's going to change your life. You've already heard from Leroy and others what it's doing in the lives of people. It's doing in your life. And how it can impact others. So let's keep this rolling. Hold on to this truth. Let's get this pattern going so as people look at us, they see what it's all about living for Jesus Christ. Amen? Would you please stand? Worship team, would you please come forward? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for being an awesome and mighty God, a God who loves us. In spite of who we are, what we've done, you love us. And you gave us your very words. Lord, I think sometimes we use words so often, so much, that they don't carry much weight. But we know, Lord, that when we receive a personal letter from somebody that we've been waiting to hear from, how good it sounds when we read that letter. When we get a note of encouragement, how good it is to read that note of encouragement. When somebody writes us a note and says, hey, I want to help you get better at something, we appreciate those words. Even greater than all those notes and letters we've ever received, you've given us an incredible book of letters, your very words, to express your love, to encourage us, to direct us in the right way to go. So Lord, I ask that as we as a church start holding on a little bit tighter to your word, that we we understand how wholesome and true it is and that we start craving it and our motivation is we want to hear from you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to know you better because of your word. Help us to live in a way that honors you as we dig more into your word and grow closer to you. In our name we pray. Thank you.